Tappers, what's up? It is the Wednesday edition of the Daily Tap. Hope you're doing well. We have a good show. I'm excited for it. We're going to talk about if the 2018 Packers draft was a success or a failure. We'll go over other drafts. We'll kind of see where the Packers are in lieu of the Josh Jackson trade for Isaac Yoakum. Yakum, I don't know. I'll I'll work on Isaac's name. We'll talk a little bit about that trade too at the back end of that. Um, we'll also chat about the Bucks being on Christmas Day, their opening night against Brooklyn. Should the ring ceremony be on opening night or should it be over the weekend? I have some thoughts on that, weirdly. Um, and also their Christmas Day opponent. We'll talk through that. We'll also discuss the Minnesota Vikings and their season. But probably before that, we're going to talk at least a little bit about what the Brewers did against St. Louis Cardinals. So we'll mention that, and then we'll go into sort of the Vikings, the eye on the enemy, I guess, is probably maybe the good way to call it. I like that. The eye on the enemy. We'll talk about the Minnesota Vikings um, today. Um, Probably the Lions tomorrow, if I'm not doing a podcast. I haven't talked to Mitch this week. I have no idea if Mitch and I are are doing a podcast or not. Uh, He's been radio silent. I'll I'll maybe reach out. Maybe Mitch is like, he's getting married in like 10 days. I I don't know if he wants to be bothered. But we will probably do a podcast. I wouldn't be surprised if we do take a week off here. It, with the wedding and everything else. But who knows? Maybe Mitch and I can get, get too knocked out. All right, let's not waste any more time. I have no time to waste. Let's talk about the Packers draft in 2018. So the Green Bay Packers in 2018 made it a point to draft cornerbacks. Green Bay needed to improve their secondary. We've had this happen before in different drafts. Who can forget the Demarius Randall draft of 2015, where the Packers drafted Randall in the first round and then they drafted Quentin Rollins in the second round. Um, both those guys didn't really pan out. So Green Bay kind of ran, and they did it again in 2017 with Kevin King and Josh Jones, a corner and a safety. And then they decided the following year, as Green Bay still trying to rebuild this secondary, and said, all right, we're going to draft Jair Alexander in round one, and we're going to draft Josh Bur- Josh Jackson in round two. Now, Jair Alexander was a raging success and has been a raging success. J- Jair Alexander is one of the best corners in the NFL. He deserves to be mentioned in the top five corners of the NFL and maybe a stealth defensive player of the year. Now, you have to make have interceptions, have to have big playmaking moments to kind of get on the radar of defensive player of the year. For Jair Alexander, it's similar to Namdi Asamoah, where he doesn't necessarily get a lot of balls thrown at him because he's such a lockdown defender. So Jair doesn't necessarily have maybe the national media recognition because he's not getting balls thrown at him because quarterbacks aren't bothering him. Quarterbacks are like, ah, fuck it. We're not even going to deal with this. As for Josh Jackson, he's been a wreck. And it's funny because I think a lot of us were really excited when Josh Jackson was a Packer. Uh, I think there's a lot of Badger crossover, right? Josh Jackson played at Iowa. Josh Jackson was incredible for the Hawkeyes. He had so many big plays, so many big moments. And Josh Jackson was a projected first-round pick. And Josh Jackson sort of fell to the Packers at 45. Well, I think there was good reason why Josh Jackson fell versus... The fact that Josh Jackson, you know, was a, was a good football player, right? Like, it's pretty evident that Josh Jackson did not really belong 
shouldn't say he didn't belong, but he just was not a second-round value. He really struggled with the Green Bay Packers. He was all right on special teams, but that was kind of it. He, you know, he held too much. He he got burned on, he was a little slow here and there. It just never seemed to work with Josh Jackson. And then with the Houston Texans preseason game over the weekend, where Jackson looked like a complete wreck, Green Bay pulled the plug on Jackson and traded him for Isaac Yoakum, who is not great. Like he's similar in Jackson where he was a former top 100 pick. He's had some struggles against guys who've thrown at him, like passer rating against him is 113. Like him and Jackson's stats are very similar. So it's not like the Packers are getting a quote unquote upgrade, but they're trying to basically see if a change of scenery will help him. And similarly, the Giants taking Josh Jackson, a former second round pick, the Giants are seeing if maybe Jackson can revive his career with the Giants and a new system with a a good system, right? Patrick Graham is a revered defensive coach. He's a guy who I think is going to get brought up for coaching positions as the years go on. So can they make Josh Jackson into how they want the corners to play? Similarly, can the Packers do that with Isaac? So obviously when you trade away the second the second round pick in your draft, there's going to be people who wonder, hey, was this a failure? Hey, did this fall apart for the Packers? Did the Packers go wrong with this draft? And it's hard, it's hard to say, right? You know, there. I think having a guy like Jair Alexander, you drafted the best secondary player in this draft. Like Jair Alexander is phenomenal. It was a great pick. If there was a redraft of 2018, Jair would probably go in the first 10 picks. So to me, that's always going to look at as be looked at as a success. Oren Burks, jury's still out. Oren Burks, you know, might be a guy who's on the chopping block. And if Oren Burks goes, then you have a little more of a ah, this draft maybe not as good. Jamon Moore not playing anymore. Cole Madison, he, who knows, right? Cole Madison's another guy who had a lot of, I think, personal stuff. So I don't know how much you can judge Cole Madison. J.K. Scott has not been as good as expected. I think, you know, being a fifth round pick and a punter, I think you expect J.K. Scott to be one of the best in the league. He certainly has not been that. Um, There's still time, obviously. Maybe J.K. comes through this year and is a little bit better. Marquez Valdez-Scantling, I think MVS is going to have a huge year. I think he's going to have a breakout year. I think he's going to get paid next season, whether that's by the Packers or some other team. I think MVS is going to get a big contract. So therein lies where I would say it's a a success and maybe the same with Burks, right? If Burks comes on strong this year, gets a big contract, whether it's from the Packers or not the Packers, you can look at that and say, all right, that guy had a successful tenure with the Packers. Maybe not it was as clean as a guy like Alexander, but there's still some success there. Equanimous St. Brown probably getting cut. I I don't think EQ is going to make the roster this year. I think he's on the chopping block for sure. Um, So EQ, also another six-round pick. James Looney, Hunter Bradley is their long snapper. So again, a player, even though it's a long snapper, even though it's a seventh-round pick, it's a guy who's on the roster and playing. So that leaves us with really four guys, right? Bradley, Valdez, Scantling, Burks, Alexander. Donerson, 
I, he's playing somewhere, but I don't believe he's playing with the Green Bay Packers. So that means that Green Bay, out of the, let's see here, let's do the math here. 1, 2, 3, 4, 5, 6, 7, 8, 9, 10, 11, 12. That means 4 out of 12 guys are playing on the Packers three, four years later. That's not bad. I mean, it's not great, right? But if you look at the drafts before that, it's it's a lot more bare than, you, than I think people think it is. And if you compare it to other drafts the Packers had in that kind of era, that transition of Thompson to Gunacoust, it's it looks a lot better. Like you go to 2017, you have Kevin King and Aaron Jones are two guys who are playing for the Packers still. Montrevious Adams as well, sorry. So you have three guys on that. Jamal Adams on another team, uh, Vince Beagle on another team, Josh Jones on another team. But Beagle and Jones did not amount to what they were, which were really top 100 picks. They never amounted to that. Jamal Williams, pretty good. Um, now maybe a, but never really amounted to a every down back. He was kind of a guy who is more of a power back who's brought in on third downs, great blocker. He, he does good things, don't get me wrong. I'm just saying he's not maybe what you expected at a fourth round value. Aaron Jones obviously has exceeded that. So you go then down to 2016. You the only guys on the team still are Kenny Clark and Dean Lowry, uh, Jason Spriggs, disaster on another team. Kyler Fackrell on another team. Blake Martinez on another team. Um, and so maybe that helps, right? Do you say you look at it and you say five out of their six draft picks are still in the league, but to only two are with the Packers. So that 2016 draft, I don't know if I would say it's pretty good. Because I look at it and say, well, Kenny Clark was a stud, great value at 27. Dean Lowry, a regular starter, but Dean Lowry doesn't, I think, excite you at all. And the other three, the top 100 guys are not playing for the Packers. And really, we were critical of all three. We were critical of Spriggs. We were critical of Fackrell at times. We were critical of Blake Martinez for sure. And so I don't know if you can, you got to kind of balance that, right? And then if you go all the way to 2015 to kind of wrap this up, you have Randall, Rollins, who I mentioned, Montgomery, Jake Ryan, Hunley, Ripkowski, who's just playing video games now, Christian Ringo, and Kennard Blackman. So you have four of those guys. None of them are with the Packers. Not a single guy on the 2015 draft is with the Packers. In my estimation, the 2015 draft is a failure for the Green Bay Packers. If you look at what was a bad draft for the Packers, I would look at that 2015 draft and say, all right, there are four guys still playing in the league. None of them are premier players, even if they aren't with the Packers. No one's hyped up about Demarius Randall. No one's getting excited about Jake Ryan or Brent Hundley. That, to me, is a failure of a draft. 2015 was a bad draft for the Packers. 2016 good not great 2017 not ideal with how many picks you had and none of those guys really amounted to much i know kevin king's a starter i know adams has started at times um but yeah it's it's not not ideal and i gotta check man i think adams is still on the team yeah he might not be actually a quick fact check on uh montrevious adams just to clean that up he's playing for the patriots now so he's not a member of the packers either so really, the only guys that are Packer players right now are Kevin King and Aaron Jones. And Kevin King is barely hanging on. So 2017, we'll always have Aaron Jones. 
But if I put 2017 and 2018 up against each other, I'd argue 2018 was better. And then if you really look at the draft in 2019, it gets even, it like that to me, that 2019 draft is something. Because you have Rashawn Gary, Darnell Savage, who both look like they could be all-pro players. Elton Jenkins, already an all-pro player. Jay Sternberger, again, the skills are there if Jay Sternberger wants to be good. Jay Sternberger can be good. Kensley Kike is a starter. A Hallman maybe on the chopping block. And so same with Dexter Williams. Ty Summers is a special teamer, but he's playing pretty regularly. So that's that's a pretty good draft. And then you go into the next year, and you have Dylan DeGura, Martin Runyon, Vernon Scott, who I think is a stud, and Jonathan Garvin, who maybe he'll have a role on this team, who's having a good camp so far. So, the, so it's not to like look at this and say, well, the Packers draft and develop has failed them in any way, shape, or form. They are bringing in guys who are premier players for the Green Bay Packers. And I think also after round four, it becomes lottery tickets. Round five is maybe not as much of a lottery ticket. The guy maybe fell a little bit. Could have been a top 100 guy if it all worked out for him. Who knows? Maybe bad college. Maybe he had a bad senior year. We don't know, right? And so that that's a little bit of a risk. Round six and seven, that to me is just lottery picks. Like, I don't think you should really judge a draft on picks after, I don't know, 150. Like, I look at Kensley Kike as a 155th round. I think you can judge that pick. But I think anything after that, I think is just kind of house money. I really do. I, I don't know if that's how they see it in the draft world. I think we'd have to ask our guy Murph on that. But I don't necessarily look at this and say, all right, just because Josh Jackson left means the 2018 draft was a failure. Because it wasn't. You have Alexander. You have Oren Burks. You got great value for Marquez Valdez-Scantling at, seven, at 174. And I know it's a long snapper. But it's a position you need. You need a fucking long snapper. You're not winning games if you don't have a guy who can snap the football for punters and kickers. And you got him at 239. So that also helps. So I'm not going to say 2018 draft was a bust. I'm going to err on the side that it was a success. And it's unfortunate that the Val- Josh Jackson fell off draft boards because of what we saw on the football field. And maybe the Packers should have had a foresight to do that. But I think if you would remember back to the 2018 draft, all of us would have took Josh Jackson at 45. Moving on to the Milwaukee Bucks. The Milwaukee Bucks are going to be playing on Christmas Day. That is very exciting, I think, for all of us. I think anytime you can get the Bucks on Christmas Day, that's exciting. And in a surprise to no one, as the Bucks won the championship, they will be the first team playing on TNT on Tuesday night. It will be the Bucks against the Brooklyn Nets. And whether the ring ceremony happens that day or not, that is left to be decided by the Bucks front office, the Bucks marketing team, and everything else. I want to talk about the game one and then we'll get back to Christmas. Um, but yes, Christmas against the Celtics, one o'clock, leads into the Packers at 3.30. I've already done that on social. I think it's going to be an awesome day for Wisconsin sports fans. Uh, If it wasn't Christmas, it would be the ultimate sit down at a bar, just hang out for 
seven or eight hours and just get stuck in and end up soaked by the end of the Packer game. But it's Christmas. You should be with your family, not at a bar. That's very much. If you're at a bar on Christmas and it's not a family thing, I got to start asking a few questions. But back to opening night. So opening night, you have Brooklyn. And then it's the Lakers and Warriors. Two great matchups. Awesome way to start the season for the NBA. Now, that is the only game the NBA has revealed on the opening week. I personally think that the Bucks should wait for ring night on either Friday or Saturday. Probably Friday because ESPN, right? You need ESPN. ESPN or TNT will not be doing a Saturday game with college football, as well as I believe the World Series would maybe just be getting going. So on that Friday night, you could look at it and say, all right, we're going to do the ring ceremony on Friday night. Why do it Friday night? Say we're bringing back the Deer District. You know, hopefully the weather's okay, but like blow it the fuck out. Like have it be ring day in Milwaukee. Like just like you have stuff going on in the Deer District all day. You have, you know, special deals maybe on Old World Third. You get people kind of moving and shaking around the city. You have a pep rally before it. So those who might not be able to afford getting into the stadium can kind of have a little bit outside an outside sort of event. And who knows where we are with COVID and all that bullshit. And I'm not even thinking about that. I'm just thinking about what could be done, what could be really fun for the Milwaukee Bucks, for their fans. And that to me is what I see. And I, that's why I think like a Friday would be awesome. Like, you know, take off a half day of work and come celebrate with us. Come relive the championship. We're going to play game six you know, in the afternoon at the Deer District or something like that. I think you could do a lot around that, in my opinion. Now, if they want to do it the first night against Brooklyn, kind of rub it in Brooklyn's face, I fully understand that and endorse that. I'm just saying I feel like from a marketing side of things, Friday makes more sense. You can get more people around. You can make a little more profit out on the district. I don't know if a ton of people are going to come out to the Deer District on that first Tuesday of the season. I have no idea, honestly. I have no idea what the Deer District looks like in the regular season, right? And you got to remember, everybody was out in the Deer District, A, wasn't worried about COVID. COVID has kind of found its way back to our normal talking points because of the Delta variant. And now I think President Biden's going to announce booster shots for COVID as well um, to later today. So your COVID's now in our front view again. So that changes things. Also, mid-October is a fucking crapshoot from a weather perspective. You could get 50 degrees and kind of like football weather at night where you still got to wear like a hoodie, jeans. and But like even if you're outside, it's not like that bad. You know, we do things outside in October, whether it's like a haunted hay ride or, you know, something along those lines, haunted house. And maybe the weather's that, but the weather could be like complete shit. It can be raining. It can be cold. It can sometimes get snow. Um, very rarely, I think now in the climate change world that we're in where snow, it comes a little bit later in the season. So that to me is the part of the outside where maybe you push back and say, well, we don't know what the weather looks like. We just rather do the ring ceremony on on Tuesday and then maybe that 
Friday, if we're featured again on ESPN, we can kind of blow it out even further. We can do something that kind of goes above and beyond. And that's sort of, we just kind of keep the celebration going and we keep the promotions going and we keep giving people reasons to go. That could be the other pivot that they do something on Friday that's adjacent to the ring ceremony because the ring ceremony, if it is the game opening night, opening night regardless will be hard to get into. Those seats will be just astronomically high. And then if you add the ring night to it, it's gonna be even more expensive. Um, it's gonna be just something astronomically big that we, a lot of us can't afford. So maybe you do something else on that Friday like a Bucks block party celebrating the championship, let's just hypothetically say. And then that's a way to kind of keep that windfall going of the championship. And trust me, the Bucks will beat the fucking brakes off championship marketing. They will market that probably until Christmas, right? Maybe a little bit before that, maybe Thanksgiving. So you do about a month of championship style marketing. But I'm fired up for Bucks Nets. I can't believe it'll be in less than two months, right? be a little less than two months, or no, literally two months, it's the 18th today. So it'll be two months from today almost, and then you'll have Bucks Celtics on Christmas. I agree with some who've said Bucks Celtics is kind of a weak game on Christmas. Look, the Celtics are a public team. I do think you're going to get a different Celtics team than you saw last season. Another year of Jalen Brown, another year of Jason Tatum, new coach. Marcus Smart just signed an extension. So I do think this is a different Celtics team, uh, but I get it. Like some people were like, well, they could have played the Heat. Yes, I, I do think the Heat would have been interesting. Someone also mentioned the Sixers. Yes, for sure. The Sixers Bucks rivalry, while we haven't seen it in the playoffs, it is very real. Um, I think ABC is doing that or ESPN is doing that because they look at the Celtics and they, they know what they're getting, I think, with that Celtics team. They know they're a public team. They know they're going to draw eyeballs. You don't have really an eyeball-drawing team early on with the Hawks-Knicks, right? You're kind of taking a little bit of a loss with the Hawks playing. Knicks are going to draw eyeballs. So then you get the Knicks, the Celtics. You get some East Coast. Then you get Warriors-Suns. Then Nets-Lakers and Mavericks-Jazz. So you have a lot of your premier players playing. I don't think the Heat draw as many eyeballs as we think they do. And the Sixers, I think there's a, too much unpredictability. They don't know what the Sixers look like. Now, if the Sixers hypothetically get Dame Lillard, right? And they trade Ben Simmons for Dame Lillard. I think there's gonna be a lot of regret in those ESPN offices to say, why didn't we put the Sixers with the box? But I, I understand also wanting to kind of shake up the games. They had Sixers bucks on Christmas two years ago. But it's when the Bucks got shit pumped, or no, three, yeah, it was two years ago. It was before 2020. You forget that that NBA had a regular, basically a normal season until COVID shut down all of it. So yeah, that 2020 year, they had Bucks Sixers um, as a game, and it did not really work out well for the mothership as the Sixers completely pumped the Bucks. So I do think they want sort of a variety. So that's why you're probably seeing Bucks Celtics. Really quickly before I talk about the Vikings, uh, the Milwaukee Brewers had a great win yesterday. 2-0 victory against the St. Louis Cardinals. The Cardinals had all the opportunities in the world to beat the Brewers. I feel like you have to be demoralized if you're St. Louis because the Brewers you know, scored two runs, but they left 14 guys on base. 
as Mitch chatted to us, who wasn't watching the game, said the Brewers have, I think he said, 11 hits and two runs. That does not seem ideal or something stupid must be happening. Yeah, the Brewers got a lot of two-out hits. They couldn't bring that two-out hit in. Um, Not the best day in terms of bringing guys in, but they won the game, so that's all that matters. Hopefully that's not going to happen again tonight. And it's not something where the Brewers are struggling to deliver that big hit. It hasn't really been a problem for them all season. It was last year. It has been in the in years past. That really has not been a bugaboo of the Brewers. So I'm not worried that this is a trend or anything. I think it's just a blip on the radar. Brewers, you know, offense has been really good. So for me to be like, all right, last two games, they've only scored two runs. Is that a cause for concern? I don't think so. I think it's just, you know, good pitching, right? Like Adam Wainwright is a very good pitcher. Getaway day for the Brewers against the Pirates on on Sunday. So kind of just trying to do maybe a little bit of the bare minimum. Um, I believe in this offense. St. Louis also, the weather, hot. So you should the balls should fly. They had a lot of balls that were kind of right at the wall yesterday. I think Colton Wong had a ground rule double. Omar Narvaez had a double that went off the wall or very close to the wall. So they, they barely missed home runs. And if those are home runs, then the Brewers have more runs. And we're not even talking about this. So I'm not concerned at all with this offense. I have no reason to be. They've been awesome really since uh, you know late June. Uh, they've been kind of a juggernaut. So to me, if I'm looking at this from the Cardinals, they have to be dejected, right? Like they're 10 games back of the Brewers. The Reds lost last night. The Padres lost again. Padres, man. Just an absolute mess right now. And the Cardinals could have easily gained a game had they kind of came through with a couple big hits of their own. You know, Corbin Burns, I don't think was that sharp. He had three strikeouts, two walks. He only allowed two hits, but it wasn't like an elite Corbin Burns outing, to say the least. And they didn't do shit. They, they really didn't. They, they are absolutely helpless against the Brewers pitching. And if I were the Cardinals today... I'd wake up a little dejected. And now you got to, oh, we got to deal with Peralta. All right, if we can get by Peralta, then Woodruff is next. Or if we don't get by Peralta, then we have to deal with Woodruff. If the Cardinals get swept here, I'm not saying it's Kunsel, but it's not looking good. And the Cardinals are who we thought they were. So we'll see. This is a big game tonight. Jack Flaherty has been good against the Brewers in the past. Uh, Peralta has had some struggles against the Cardinals. I do worry a little bit about Fred tonight just because he does walk guys more than than others and the Cardinals are very patient hitters. And so that to me scares me a little bit with Fred. So I, I wonder if there's going to be a shorter leash for Freddie Peralta than there has been in the last few games. If they're going to say, all right, if Fred doesn't have it, we're going to pull him and kind of go in a more of a bullpen game. You know, the Brewers really haven't needed their bullpen too much. It's been the Boxberger-Williams-Hater connection, which we need a name for that, by the way. I said that on a blog today. Like, we need a name for the Boxberger-Woodruff-Hater combination. Like, Box will hate. Box will hate. no. Burger, I feel like there's something we can do with Burger. Like, Burger will hate it. Burger will hate like Mike Will made it? No. Oh, Mike Will made it. Okay. Berg will hate. Well, as Ryan Russell likes to say, we'll get IT on that. Um, we'll we'll start working on some names for that bullpen combination. Because that they're filthy. That to me, you look at it watching Berger, 
Boxberger, excuse me, not Berger. Boxberger, Williams, Hader. You see it and you're like, all right, that's playoffs right there. Like that to me is what it looks like. Devin Williams has been fantastic. Uh, He's really sort of figured it out. He had some struggles early on this season. Went in the DL. Devin Williams has been great um, in the last last few weeks. So it's really encouraging to see that as we get closer and closer to the playoffs. All right, let's talk about the Vikings in our Eye on the Enemy series. I feel like other people do Eye on the Enemy. Uh, I don't think that is a unique name at all. Um, I maybe will send to our group chat uh, some workshop names. If you guys have any, feel free to reach out. You know where to reach me on the DMs, uh, tapping the keg sports on Instagram, tapping the keg on Twitter. If you have any ideas on the name we could come up with, uh, like we were doing yesterday with the Bears, which you can go back and listen to if you haven't yet. Uh, we're going to preview all of the teams the Packers are playing this season. Um, we might do it a little more in a longer version um, for the wedding week. Um, as you know, I've talked about it a few times and getting married uh, on the 28th. I don't think we'll have shows on the 26th and 27th that will be in the moment. So kind of pre-recorded stuff that I can give you guys that are kind of like these eye on the enemy features. Um, I said we were going to do it with the Badgers. I don't know if we'll have time. Uh, We'll try. Maybe the Badger one's a little more condensed and we talk about just their opponents as a whole versus like a everyday sort of segment. So we're starting with the, we started with the Bears. We're going to the Minnesota Vikings. Vikings are a very interesting team. I have no idea what that team chemistry looks like with all the COVID stuff that they've dealt with. If you recall or forgot, the Vikings are only about 60% vaccinated. Um, it really rubbed Mike Zimmer the wrong way. He was very critical of his team. His quarterback is not vaccinated. Kirk Cousins' dad has some very spicy takes as a pastor. I don't know if you guys have seen that. Um, he definitely is not a fan of vaccinations and not a fan of a lot of other things um, in today's society. Um, so it's a that's that could explain a lot of the unvaccinated takes or the reason why Kurt is unvaccinated. Um, and I don't know if that's going to create friction in the in the locker room. And Mike Zimmer has been there for a while. And I just wonder if Mike Zimmer kind of gives off Scott Skiles, Tim, T- Tim Tebow, T- Tom Thibodeau. I was getting there. I was right there. I was like, not Tim Tebow, but Tom Thibodeau vibes, Scott Skiles vibes, where the messaging just kind of gets stale. Where you just listen to Zimmer and you're like, fuck, man. Like, again, like, you got to keep banging this drum. You got to keep fucking this chicken. Like, we really are talking about this shit again. Like, I don't know if that is kind of what Mike Zimmer is, what people are dealing with when they talk with Mike Zimmer. I have no idea. But I I just could see it. I just could see Mike Zimmer rubbing some guys the wrong way. You know, and it being like, we're done with this shit. It's been eight or nine years. I don't know how long Zimmer's been there. But just sort of getting tired of Mike Zimmer. So I don't know where the Vikings headspace are. They have a good team. They have a, a talented roster. But are they there from a mental standpoint? Like, is it all there between the ears? We'll see. Um, when do they play the Packers? Week 11 in U.S. Bank Stadium and then week 17 at Lambeau Field. One of the things Warren Sharp pointed out, uh, he did a Vikings preview yesterday, uh, coincidental timing. What Warren pointed out was the Vikings were really good with fans and really good, had a home home field advantage. 
that was kind of unlike any other in the NFL. One of the best in football. Definitely not a fun place to play. I know the Packers kicked their ass last year, but if you remember, there were zero fans in the stands. I do think that will matter for the Vikings this season, and it kind of makes me rethink the record that I have for them. Um, as I, I kind of forgot, as I'm like, I did the record, and now I'm like, ah, should I reconsider it? As for Minnesota's strengths on this team, I think the strengths are pretty easy. It's Delvin Cook, right? Delvin Cook running the football is one of the greatest strengths that the Minnesota Vikings have. And the scheme that they run with Gary Kubiak and Rick Dennelson is one of the best in terms of running the football. Now, the Vikings sometimes commit a little bit too hard to the run, but I would argue that the Vikings are a team that should, uh, because we'll talk about their weakness in a second. And I think Delvin Cook is the man. I think he can put a team on his back. We watched him do it in Lambeau last season with the win game where Delvin Cook was just unstoppable. And the Packers could not bring him down. And that was part of the reason why they lost. Delvin Cook was fantastic in that football game. And I don't really expect anything different from him this season. He can win football games. He can be the premier running back in the NFL. And that, to me, should scare any NFC team, any NFC North team. Can Delvin Cook be the reason the Vikings go to playoffs? I'm not sure. But I do think Delvin Cook is a premier player and one of the biggest strengths of this Vikings team. Also, their front seven. Their front seven is mean. It's nasty. You get Michael Pierce back, who I think opted out from COVID last season. So you have a massive front seven. They can get to the quarterback. They can really start frustrating guys. Similar to what we talked about with the Bears, right? Their front seven is mean. You have guys like Anthony Barr, Eric Kendricks. Like the Vikings are a very good defense. Like that defense up front is really, really solid. And if that front seven is rolling, the Vikings are going to succeed. The Vikings are going to have a really good year. And we've certainly seen that front seven front seven sort of show their teeth and daniel hunter they had da- dalvin tomlinson i mean they have an embarrassment of riches riches with sheldon richardson as well as a backup i really like troy die the rookie uh or not now he's the two one-year player out of oregon i just like what the vikings have in that four three base defense but when we go into weaknesses the first one is Kirk Cousins, all right? Like, Kirk Cousins is not going to take you very far. Kirk Cousins is not a good a good quarterback. He just isn't. I'm sorry. He's an average quarterback. He's the third best quarterback, in my opinion, in the NFC North. I would put Justin Fields at this point ahead of Kirk Cousins. Yes, I would. I really would. Because I think at the end of the year, you will say that. We will say Rodgers, Fields, Cousins. And whoever did, and, and Goff. I, hell, I might even, whatever, I'd have Jared Goff or Kirk Cousins. Whew, that is a Sophie's choice of quarterbacks. I don't know, man. That's, I, I think I'd have Kirk Cousins. I know people are like, oh, Kirk Cousins gets a bad rap. I'm sorry. I just haven't seen a lot of moments where Kirk Cousins has put a team on his back and won, won a game. I just haven't. And I don't know if you can trust Kirk Cousins when you're trailing. I think he forces bad mistakes. Again, this COVID stuff, I don't know if everybody's on Kirk Cousins' side. I it's it's tough, man. It starts with the quarterback, and I don't know if Kirk Cousins really has this team, and I have real concerns. 
I also, you know, would be remiss if I didn't mention their offensive line. It's been an issue for a long time. Now, they added Christian Derrishaw. I think Derrishaw is a really good player. He's a first-rounder out of Virginia Tech. They got great value out of Derrishaw. I think he's your future in terms of the left tackle. Bradbury, also a early pick. Isaac Cleveland, an early pick. They've done what they can to rebuild this offensive line. So maybe this is the year the Vikings offensive line comes together for, in terms of protecting Kirk Cousins. Now, if they do then I think the narrative and what the Vikings can be, their ceiling completely changes. But we have to at least see it with all these young guys. You can see the foundation of an offensive line building here. The question is, are these guys as good as their draft picks? Going back to the conversation we had at the start of this podcast, right? So we'll see. We'll definitely see there. As for another weakness, the secondary man, Brashad Breeland's a starter. In 2021, like he did some nice things with Kansas City. He did some occasional things with with Green Bay back in the day. But I can't really look at it and say, all right, Brashad Breeland definitely should be a starter. Cameron Dantzler has not lived up to his draft slot. Same with Mackenzie Alexander. Two guys who really have not sort of come come together. They do have Harrison Smith. Which Harrison Smith, very good, one of the best strong safeties in football. But it's Harrison Smith and everybody else. Xavier Woods, whatever. Patrick Peterson's washed up. I don't I think people like the name Patrick Peterson. People are gonna be excited about Patrick Peterson. Some people are gonna cite Patrick Peterson as a reason why the Vikings are gonna be good this season. He's washed up. Guys, we've seen this before. We've seen guys take contracts with other teams and it just doesn't work. I don't think it's going to work in Minnesota. Maybe I'm wrong, but I just don't see it with Patrick Peterson. For the record, I have the Vikings at 8 and 9, similar to the Bears. I just, I don't see the Vikings being able to kind of have a, a good run here in them. They have a really tough stretch after their bye. They play Dallas, Baltimore, the Chargers, Green Bay, San Francisco. Baltimore Chargers and San Francisco are all at home or all on the road. They have to do a trip out to LA. Then they come over to play Green Bay. Then they go all the way back to play San Francisco. That's a lot. That's a lot on a team that's asking a lot. Um, they also have to do Baltimore to LA. So they have some brutal kind of travel in that as well. Um, so I don't necessarily like that stretch for the Vikings. And that's going to kind of make or break their season because the way I have it, is by the by they're four and two and then those five games could be a real mess and if those five five games end up being better than i expect then maybe the vikings do have a shot at the playoffs but that's a really tough stretch they also in december they have to go into the cold they gotta play the bears on monday night they gotta play the packers on sunday night like that that is not easy for a minnesota team who plays inside a retractable roof aka a dome so i have them at eight and nine the funniest storyline, it's not even funny, but the the obviously the funniest storyline is if they have to forfeit a game with COVID. And it's not funny. Like, here's the thing. Like, I it's I, COVID's not funny, I know. Like, don't cancel me here. But if the Vikings have to forfeit a game because they have COVID, trust me, it will be a joke that we will talk about for decades in Packer, Bear shit talk and Vikings or Lions will throw Lions in there too like everybody will shit talk the Vikings if they have a COVID issue all right like let's let's just be honest there all right guys 
that does it for our show. I wanted this to be a short show, and we are looking at probably with edits at being like 39 minutes. I can't do short shows anymore. I've become too good of a podcaster. I know you guys appreciate it. Uh, I appreciate you listening. We'll be back tomorrow. Um, I don't know, maybe Mitch, maybe not. Um, And if no Mitch, we'll certainly talk about the Lions and we'll talk about the Brewers and the Cardinals and we'll talk about anything else that comes through the wire. All right, take care, guys. Have yourself a great Wednesday. We'll be back tomorrow. See you. Bye.